So we finished up on our sermon series on King David, and I hope that maybe you learned something new about David on this uh, kind of adventure that we've been on, and I'm grateful for that. Now, I want to share with you, uh, I'm going to be preaching next week, and um, I'm it's going to kind of do a standalone sermon, and I really, um, in my preparation for the Journeys of Paul, Terrific Tuesday, I found something that was really powerful to me in this last leg of G- Paul's journey as he made his way towards Rome, and um, I want to, the title of my sermon next week is called Kindness Matters. And we're going to look at all these different places in which how Paul extended kindness in the name of Jesus Christ and how this had a significant impact on people's lives. So we're going to be preaching and teaching on that next week. So y'all come. By the way, I want to share with you all, it is wonderful to see almost a full auditorium today. I know there are a few empty seats, but it's good to be here in the house of the Lord and to see so many people. So grateful for that. Okay, so we've been talking about David, and so um, David was a shepherd, David was a warrior, David was a king, David was a, well, he was a prophet and a poet, and, um, and so I wanted to conclude my sermon series on uh, this little theme that David was a man after God's own heart. And I wanted to find out, because I never had done the kind of the research and kind of, I call it the detective work, to find out what did that really mean that David was a man after God's own heart. So um, in order to understand that particular phrase, and you have to go back and look at the context of what was written and um, look at really basically, as you've heard this, me say this before over and over again, you have to look at the story before the story. And so let me share with you all this particular piece of scripture. And it may not sound like it all makes, makes sense, but when I read it and I explain it, I think it will help clarify a few things about how we end up with God saying that David was actually a man after God's own heart. So here's the first part of the story. This is the first scene of the eighth chapter. And this has to do with um, the choosing of um, King Saul. Fed up with all the elders of Israel got, um, Israel got together, the elders got together, and confronted Samuel, and they presented their case. Look, you're an old man, and your sons aren't following in your footsteps. Here's what we want you to do. Appoint a king to rule us, just like everybody else. And when Samuel heard their demand, give us a king to rule us, well, he was just crushed. How awful. And Samuel prayed to God. God answered Samuel, go ahead and do what they're asking. They're not rejecting you. They're actually just rejecting me as their king. For Samuel 13th chapter. How stupid of you to have broken the commands the Lord your God gave you, Samuel told Saul. The Lord would have established your rule over all of Israel forever, but now your rule won't last. The Lord will search for a man following the Lord's own heart, and the Lord will commission him as leader over God's people because you didn't keep the Lord's command. And Samuel got up and went on his way from Gogoth, But the rest of the people followed Paul to join the army, and they went to Gilgal. And Saul counted about 600 men who still were with him. And for the book of Acts, this is what Paul says. And when he had had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my wishes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. What a great, great text. So um, 
what I'm going to teach you all about this text today really comes down to um, like just two or three words. Um, to be like. Let me say that again. If you want to understand the whole context of what, these, what it means for um, uh, to be, uh, uh, to be a, David being a man after God's own heart, you have to understand these words, to be like. So immediately when I found this out, when I did my detective work, to be like, 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 um, I thought of this commercial. Took me back to the 1990s. Take a look. Here we go. And Gatorade sold a whole lot of Gatorade after they showed that commercial. Because every kid in America wanted to be like Mike, and they were going to drink a whole lot of Gatorade. And they were going to wear a whole lot of Michael Jordan nut sneakers, too, to be like somebody. I remember, you know, as a kid, I wanted to be like my dad. I remember I wanted to be like my dad and wanted to be like Johnny Bench, who was a catcher for the Big Red Machine back in the 1970s. Let me ask you, who did you want to be like? So what's interesting about this story is we have the story before the story. And um, as I read to you all, it's, if you go back and look at the original connotation, of the, uh, it says, fed up with all the elders of Israel got together and they confronted Samuel and they presented their case. And look, uh, you're, you're getting old. You're going to become an old man. Your sons aren't following your ways. Here's what I want you to do. Appoint us a king to rule just like everybody else. We want a king just like everybody else. Give us a king, because everybody else has got a king, but give us a king just like everybody else, like. And so, can you put that teaching slide up for me, if you could be, possibly, if that one about, yeah, okay, so, no, that's not it, that's not it, the teaching, the one about, um, about a court, there you go, that's it. So, here's what I want us to understand about to be like. So, um, then, the seeking the right king according to God, a connection between like the other nations, What little translation means in accordance to or according with, to be like. So what the children of Israel, they're they're wanting a king, but they want one like everybody else. And yet, eventually what we do is we get around that Saul doesn't do very well. As a matter of fact, he starts pretty strong. He's courageous, but then he crashes and burns pretty quickly. Actually, after about two years. And so when God sees how well he's doing, he says, listen, we're going to be heading a different direction. And so what's interesting, can you put that slide back up? So then all of a sudden we have this, this new vision and the word like, that takes on a different meaning because it takes on what, he, what God's saying, I want, I'm gonna appoint a brand new king, but he's gonna be more like me. There's a difference. So there is according to or in accordance with God's own heart. And when we look at, when God says, I'm gonna appoint a new king, he's gonna be more like my heart and he picks David. So the Lord sought for himself, mind you, a man according to his own heart, to be like. Two different likes. So, you know, it's interesting about this story is, you know, David, um, so God says, he feels the pressure. He feels the pressure um, from the children of Israel. And by the way, their pressure is, um, um, they're a little bit arrogant, a little bit full of themselves. They, they're pressuring God and, and the timing. They say, you listen, not only do we want a, a God, we want somebody who can rule over us like, all, everybody, like everybody else, but we also want it, and we want him right now. So they're arrogant. They're pushing the timing. And then they're also, their motive was, I thought this is interesting, they wanted a king who was according to all like all the other nations, um, which is really um, very interesting because God says, okay, we can do it your way. 
And after two years, he stood back and says, how's that working out for you, like Dr. Phil? Not working out real well, is it? So then God said, okay, then you, we've tried to do it your way. Let's try to do it my way. So then he appointed David, or he wanted David to be king because David was a man after his own heart who was more like God's heart, not like all the other kings or like all the other nations. Wow, I didn't know that. I learned something new this week. To be like God's heart. So I was thinking about this this last week and, and put it in perspective because see what got Saul in, in big trouble was, and this is really good, fits with the whole theme, is that um, Saul was doing pretty well until all of a sudden he goes out into battle one day and evidently word had gotten to Saul and say, listen, don't go into battle any further until Samuel shows up and he gives it a blessing and he offers a sacrifice. So don't do this. Do not go into battle. Do not go into battle. Do not go into battle. What does Saul do? He goes into battle. Basically, what he's saying is, you know what, God, um, I don't really trust you. We're going to do it my way. Now, that seems pretty arrogant on Saul's part, right? So when Samuel shows up, uh, Samuel's not real happy. And this is what he says to Saul. Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, behold to obey is because that better than a sacrifice and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is a reprehensible as as the sin of deviation and insubordination is an, an is as reprehensible as a false religion and idolatry since you Saul have rejected the word of the Lord he has rejected you from being king ouch Sammy just laid it out. Okay. You want to play games with God? It's not going to work out real well. So we find this, once again, this story before the story. So the children of Israel insist they want a king. But they want a king like all the other kings. They want a king like all the other nations. And yet... God gave them exactly what they wanted. And yet, we find in this story that, and it's a very powerful story, is that we find this little phrase that David really is ultimately a man after God's own heart. And he appoints a king the second way around, someone who's more like him. Okay. So I, I, what I love about this story is, and it's powerful about the story, is that um, sometimes in life... <clears throat> and I'm guilty of this as well, maybe you are too, that sometimes I, I've gotten ahead of God. I've been a little impatient with God. And I've settled when God had something better for me. Has anybody else ever done that? So what I think is really powerful is that the children of Israel were actually willing to settle for something lesser when God had something, even a greater plan if they would have just been patient. God had already, it's already actually talked about early in the, Old Testament that God had promised him a king. He was going to give him a king, but he was going to do it under the way God wanted to do, but they were forcing God's hand to give him a king. 
Okay, I'll give you a king. We want a king like everybody else. We want a king like all the other kings. Okay, I'll give you exactly what you want. And he did. Didn't turn out real well. Sometimes we just settle. I found this great story this week in my research. I think it's one of the most powerful stories that came out of World War II. And um, it's a story about a young boy. His name is Helmut Hubener. And chances are, here's, can you push the picture up? Chances are you've never, never seen that kid before. You've probably never heard of him. But here's the story. Uh, once upon a time, he was about 14 years old. He's just a kid. And all of a sudden, he was hearing about, um, he was listening to the BBC radio um, and hearing about what was happening in his country as the Nazis began to take over. And he didn't like it. And, um, and so, matter of fact, he was, he was a Boy Scout. And then all of a sudden, what Hitler did with all the Boy Scouts, he conf- tried to convert them from Boy Scouts to becoming what they call Hitler's youth. And so he became one of Hitler's youth, but he, he didn't like it. He quit. Then all of a sudden, this kid at the age of like 14, 15, you ready? He decides that he's going to take it upon himself and he recruits a few of his buddies and they begin to print out pamphlets and they begin to distribute them about how awful what Hitler was actually doing and that they were all being conned and sold a bill of goods and it was all a horrible thing and don't go down this road. We don't want to be like Hitler. So he started printing these pamphlets and he started putting them in people's pockets. He put them in phone books and put them in places of business. And he put them up on the, um, maybe on the lamp poles. He started putting them up everywhere. Until one day, one day, one of his buddies saw what he was doing and then, well, he sold them out. He told the Gestapo. And guess what happened? The Gestapo comes looking for him. He's only a kid. This time he's like 16. They round up all him and his buddies and um, they put him on trial for treason. What was very interesting in this particular story is that, um, that he was a part of the Mormon church, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, and even the Church of the Latter-day Saints during Hitler's regime, who were Christian churches in Germany, decided to side with the Nazis. I didn't know that. So even the church was putting pressure on this kid to go and be like Hitler. But he didn't want to do it. So he printed up these pamphlets going against Hitler. So when they put this kid on trial at the age of 17, um, they rounded him up. And this is what he said to the judge when he was on trial. Finally, the trial arrived. Hubner, was, uh, who was uh, 17 years old, uh, was tried as an adult rather than a kid. Rather than argue for his release, the boy instead confronted the judges about the Nazi regime and the war. He said this, quote, when a judge asked him if he really thought Germany would lose the war, he asked, don't you? Now, that took guts. His friends later told the family members that they thought Hubner was actually purposely baiting the judges so they would give the other boys a lesson. It's exactly what happened. His friends were sentenced to imprisonment and labor camps, but Hubner was actually convicted of conspiracy to commit high treason against Hitler, and he was sentenced to death. 
And when he was asked, I thought this was really powerful, when he was asked if he had anything to say before he was to die in his last sentencing, Hembert confronted the judges again and says, quote, I have to die now for no crime at all. And then he says, someday your turn is next. Hitler is the one who gave the final notice to execute this kid. He was the youngest kid to be executed to the Nazi regime. All because, you ready? Because he did not want to be like everybody else. He didn't want to be like Hitler. Now, that's a powerful story. The children of Israel said, hey, listen, God, can you just give us a king like everybody else? And yet, God gives them David, who's more like his heart. Okay, so let me teach for a second. You ready? When I think about this, there are, as I shared with you all last week, let's be really truthful and be really, this is a dose of reality. David did some amazing things in his life. He was a phenomenal leader. But as I shared with you all last week, he crashes and burns in a big way. I mean, who can knock out six breaking, six of the, six of the Ten Commandments in all one swoop? David, that's a big deal, right? Okay, he does that. Okay, and yeah, this is what was I was struggling with as I was thinking about putting this sermon together for us. Okay, we have this darker side of David. We got this awful side of David. We got this evil side of David. And yes, he owns that, okay? But then there's something that continues to draw, we draw upon this text that yet David was a man after God's own heart. So what does that mean? Okay, so if we look at, we have this kind of darker side, but then we have all these other wonderful qualities that I would say that they are ultimately, in essence, the, what God sees, that why, reason why David was a man after his own heart. These wonderful qualities. Okay, so here's the first one. You ready? Is that David was faithful. I think God wants us all to be faithful. I think one of the, the greatest truths that we find how David was so faithful is that we find it in that whole David and the Goliath story. By the way, we were reminded, you know, when David shows up, he's just a shepherd. He's just a kid. He's about the same age as Hubner, right? And um, all he knows is really, you know, shepherding, but yet he's confident. In mean, fact, he sells, tells even Saul, listen, I've, you know, I've, I've taken out a bear. I've taken out a lion. I, listen, I, I, I believe I can take out that big boy. And what Saul say? Well, knock yourself out. God be with you. Good luck on that. Little did Saul know that he was actually going to be able to achieve what he was set out to do. And what I love about this story, once again, I reminded you all when we begin this sermon series, is, is that David is so confident and the reason why he's so confident is because he really believes that God's backing him. Where does that faith come from? It's amazing, isn't it? That everybody else is looking at the giant. Oh my gosh, look at that giant. He's so big. Oh, what are we going to do? And David doesn't look at that. He doesn't look how big he is. He, he just continues to call upon the name of God. I love that. Oh, right. I think the greatest truth of that story I found this week. You ready? 
the greatest truth about David's faith. And I think this is one of the reasons why that David was a man after God's own heart. Is he claims the victory of defeating the Goliath before he even does it. Think about that. David claims the victory before the victory. I love that. That tells you something about the faith of that shepherd boy, doesn't it? To claim the victory before the victory. Oh, wait, hold on. Where have we seen that? Where have we seen that? We are seeing it, ready? We are seeing that right here, right now, as we worship Jesus Christ. As I remind you over and over and over again, it is Sunday morning, folks. We have come worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And every single Sunday morning is considered, as we come and worship the Lord, it's considered a mini Easter. Every single time that we walk into this worship setting is we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and it is an empty cross is because Jesus Christ has been crucified and has raised from the dead. Amen on that. So every single time that we walk into this sanctuary on Sunday morning is because we are celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. That's important. And someday, you ready? Someday, 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 when we pass from this life into a brand new life, we're going to have victory with Jesus Christ. But today, folks, we are claiming and we are celebrating our victory with Jesus before the victory. Y'all with me? Why are we here? Because we're here to celebrate the victory before the victory. Why are we here? Because we have faith in Jesus Christ. Why are we here? It's because we actually believe, we have the boldness to believe, we have the faith to believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and rose from the dead on the third day. Glory, hallelujah. Why are we here? Come on now. We are here because we have come to claim the victory before the victory. Let's be clear about that. Where have we seen that? We're seeing it right here. I saw it this last week. I saw it this last week. My, my friend Sharon, she's on her staff, Sharon Wyman. Uh, I, I, I just love her. She's just a sweet spirit. She handles all the, when someone passes away in our church, she's just got this beautiful gift of, Dealing with people, helping to walk through that process with compassion and love. She's just got the gift. And her husband, Roy, and both of them worked for years and years and years in the, um, um, and working in, within the funeral home business and taking care of people. And so Roy was a, a funeral home director. And that's just kind of like their spiritual gift of dealing with people who are grieving. And so, so her husband, um, I get a call, and it was early this week, and Roy's dying. He's dying of cancer. So I go, Ellen goes, Pastor Jeff goes. We're all there. All three of us, all three pastors there because she called and let us know that they were going to take, he was on their incubator and they're about to take the tube out. Now here's what I know about that. 
my own personal experience. Okay, is that, um, is that sometimes when they take the tube out when you've been incubated, you can die within a few seconds. You can die a few minutes later. Or you can continue to breathe on your own. Maybe it's gonna take a day or two. We don't know. So just before they're about to take the tube out, not knowing if he was gonna live or die, I had a chance to witness something that was really sacred. It was a gift. I watched Sharon go over. She was all by herself. I was standing back. And I saw her just put her arms around her husband. that They'd been married for like 60 years. She was hugging him, kissing him, telling her how much he, she loved him, that he was going to be okay, and that she trusted and believed that he was going to be able to go see his family soon in heaven. Claiming the victory before the victory. They took the tube out. We walked, stepped outside the room. They took the tube out. They pulled the curtain back. We walk in and she says, is he still alive? And they go, yes, he's still alive. He's breathing on his own. Then she puts her arms back around him, kisses him, loves on him, tells him how much he loves him. Next day he dies. Next day he dies. And this is what I said to Sharon. I said, you know what, Sharon? What a gift that God gave you another day. That's the reason why I remind you all, every time when I pray, I always say, Lord, thank you so much for giving us another day. Can I amen on that? Amen. Every day is a gift from God. Yeah, what, the reason I share that with you all day, you ready? Is because we need to be reminded there's the victory before the victory. And I witnessed it in a very powerful way. When Sharon was loving on her husband. It was sacred. I, I, get a, um, I get a text this morning from my mother. My mother's here. My mother's only sister. Uh, this is her and her sister. Uh, she died this morning. Six o'clock this morning. Yeah. I got a heavy heart today. I know my mother does too. I love my aunt. She's 10 years younger than my mother. This is the text of my mother. Harold Ray. Elaine died at 6 o'clock this morning. My text back to my mother. I'm sorry. There is victory in Jesus. I believe that. There is victory in Jesus. That's why we're here today. To claim the victory. There is victory before the victory. I heard an old, old story how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sin and we won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. 
He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing blood. There's something to that. All right, here's the last thing. I had so much more I wanted to talk to you all about today, but I'm running out of time. I, what I love about David, not only was he a man after God's own heart and his faith, that he claimed the victory before the victory is, here's the last little thing. I really love this, there's a sense of humility about David. Matter of fact, this is what, here's the quote. He says, uh, is it, is it, it just seems to me, um, he says, be, I, I, who am I? Who am I to even to be considered? I thought that was interesting. It's trivially in your sight to become the king's son-in-law. So I, I'm, uh, oh, I'm sorry. He says, who am I? I'm the Lord God. Who are you or the member of my household that you have actually brought me this far? So then I started thinking about the whole idea of humility. Okay. So I started thinking, okay, let's just think about Humility, humility, humility to David. You know what I love about, um, there's this guy by the, anybody heard of the guy named Billy Graham? Okay, so you know what, I think Billy was a pretty humble guy. And the reason why I should bring him up real quick, my, in the last part of my message today, is that um, I, I heard this story about Billy Graham and Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen Curtis Chapman was evidently one of his, he was like, he, he went with Billy Graham on the crusade. By the way, I don't know if you realize this, but just um, want you to know, uh, Billy Graham converted 215 million people to Jesus. That's a pretty good run. Okay, so um, him and Stephen Curtis Chapman evidently were talking one day, and he told Stephen Curtis Chapman, he says, you know what? He says, Stephen, you know what? When I die, I, I, I don't even want my name to be even mentioned at my funeral. Who says that? Billy Graham. He said, you know, you don't, don't, don't even mention my name. Chances are you're going to be there, but you don't, you don't even mention, tell them don't even mention my name. The only name that I want to be mentioned is the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's powerful. So when he was doing this interview before he died, back in 2018, uh, dear Reverend Graham, um, how would you like to be remembered? And this is how he answered. This is how Billy answered. I, I hope I will be remembered as someone who was faithful, faithful to God, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and faithful to the calling God gave me, not only as an evangelist, but also as a husband, a father, and friend. I'm sure I failed in many ways, but I take comfort in Christ's promise of forgiveness, and I take comfort also in God's ability to take even our most imperfect efforts and use them for his glory. By the way, by the time you read this, I'll already be in heaven. I love that. And as I write this, I'm looking forward with great anticipation to the day when I will be in God's presence forever. Billy Graham. I, I think that's a pretty humble statement, isn't it? I don't even mention my name. Just, just lift up Jesus. Faithfulness, humility, worship, honor, repentance. I, I think one of the things, the greatest things that David did is he had a repentant heart. He asked for forgiveness. 
He's repentant. And when he, that whole thing about Bathsheba, when it all went down, the first thing he does when he is confronted with Nathan, Nathan confronts him and he says, oh man, I'll own it. And don't we all need to do that? I'll own this. Doesn't try to make excuses. Doesn't try to say, you know, I'm better than God. No, 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 no. He just says, hey, listen, he asks for forgiveness. He repents of his sins and God continues to restore him. That's a great recipe for being a person after God's own heart. Let me say that again. You want a great recipe to be a person after God's own heart? Ask for forgiveness, be repentant, and be restored in the eyes of God. Amen on that. So here's my last little thought thing. Y'all still with me? Choir, are you still with me? Okay, here you go. All right. So here's my last thought. Where do we see what I would call that we could be just like Jesus? Where do we get the teaching that did? The, I mean, this is what the sermon's really all about. You know, God was a man. David is a man after God's own heart. Like, he wanted to be like God, right? I, I appointed David because he was, he was a lot like me. He had all these wonderful characters, right? So here's, here's, here's the first point. I think that we find where God wants, to, where Jesus really wants us to be like him is where he is in the Last Supper, he washes the disciples' feet. And by the way, he washes Judas's feet. By the way, I want you to show something. Ready? The greatest, could have been the greatest repentant restoration story in human history could have been a Judas. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't repent of his sin. And he isn't restored. But you know Jesus would have. I think the greatest teaching that we find in Jesus to be like Jesus was when he says, I want you to love just as I have loved you. The second one is, was Jesus on the cross? He says, you know he says? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So can we love like Jesus? Can we forgive like Jesus? Can we have faith like Jesus? Yeah. I woke up this morning at six o'clock this morning. I had something, I don't think, I can't remember this has ever happened to me. I'm not quite sure. All of a sudden, at six o'clock in the morning, you ready? Six o'clock this morning, I heard a voice. It woke me up, dead sleep. Harold! I literally sat up. I thought it was Donna calling me. Harold! And then I thought, wait a minute. And I went back to sleep. But then I was on my run this morning. I think, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I looked at the clock, it wasn't 5.59. It wasn't 6.01. It was 6 o'clock. My aunt died at 6 o'clock this morning. Victory for the victory and reclaim the victory today. Let's stand up as we go out.